surrogacy, Einstein, and the Bible? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, July 24th, 2023. Hello, I'm Avery Foley. I'm here with Bodie Hodge and Dr. Kaya Kloster. Today we'll be discussing a surrogate with cancer who was pressured into ending the baby's life in addition to other news stories. But let's start with surrogate with cancer forced to end baby's life after pressure from parents. But in every surrogacy, babies come last. So this is an article talking about a really tragic story of a woman who is a second time surrogate who had, um, was hired by two gay men to, basically they rented her uterus for their child. And in her second trimester, she was very tragically diagnosed with breast cancer. And originally the doctors thought they could give her a chemotherapy regime that would allow her to carry the baby until like 34 weeks, maybe even a little bit longer, maybe get her all the way to 36 weeks before having to deliver the baby. And when this news was given to the parents of the child, they immediately were like, nope, just abort the baby. We don't want the baby. We do not want the risk of a baby being born premature, even though babies born at 34 weeks have a very, very high survival rate. They did not want that. Um, and then it was revealed not too much longer later that her cancer was a lot worse than they thought and they were going to have to deliver the baby very very early at 25 weeks and again the parents of this child were like nope we do not want that we want the child aborted that is the only option that we will look at we do not want life-saving care given to this child if the child is born at 25 weeks we don't want that I think the sad thing, too, was that there were even people that were willing to step in. Five families, yes. Five, including yeah. the surrogate mother, were willing to adopt the child, and they were like, no, we do not want, and to quote them, their DNA floating around out there being raised by someone else. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a tragic shocking. situation. Yeah. Um, you know, it just breaks my heart to see, you know, a child stuck in such a situation, and then their life is ended. The baby was born premature at 25 weeks and did not survive. Mm -hmm. um, being born that early and, and not having care given. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it, when you read through this article and you read all the circumstances surrounding it, you really just see the heartbreaking commodification of children, where these two men purchased an egg, then they purchased the womb of another woman in order to have a child. And to them, and you can clearly see, they called the child a fetus all throughout. Is that referring to it as their son, as their child? It's just a fetus, it's just their DNA. The commodification of this child, where they bought and mm -hmm. this child was basically bought and sold. And so if you can just buy and sell children, well then, this one didn't work out. This one was gonna be very inconvenient. It was gonna be born really early, have a long NICU stay, very expensive, all of that, have potential health complications that could last for, for years. Although most preemies end up, by the time they're in kindergarten, they're, they're normal and they've developed up to where they, they should. Um, they didn't wanna deal with any of that. And so there's no, we'll end this ch child's life and we'll try again, basically. It's just, so evil, but that's what happens when you commodify children and you make them just something that can be bought and sold instead mm -hmm. of precious people made in the image of God and designed fearfully and wonderfully by him. Yeah, it broke my heart reading this, you know, because I'm like, oh, how did they get in this situation? How did they get in this situation? How did they get in this situation? And just one thing after another. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it breaks my heart that the child's rights were completely mm -hmm. tossed aside. Never they they basically assumed the child had no rights. And they say in here that surrogacy is transactional, which means that regardless of the outcomes, Regardless of the outcome, someone is always paying a price. So, you know, whether it's the child, whether it's the, the parents, whether it's the surrogate herself, like the emotional attachment to the child. Um, we were even talking like about the families of the surrogate mother. It's just a very complicated, messy, unnatural situation. Mm -hmm. and, and really just, just turns children into, into commodities. Is what you see through this whole article. That's mm -hmm. the whole mindset. And what a difference it makes when you have a biblical worldview of children. 
when you see them as someone who's been made in the very image of God, that this child was fashioned by him, uh, created by God fearfully and wonderfully, not just something that was created in a lab and can be discarded at will, but someone who is made by God. What a difference that worldview makes over, I'm an adult, so I can choose to have a child. It's my right to get to have a child. doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. All that matters is my adult desire, and anything can be sacrificed on the altar of my adult desire. But children deserve to have their rights protected. They have rights too. It's not just adult desire that matters. The, the person of this little boy, he also mattered. But unfortunately wasn't treated that way by his prospective parents. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of Christians, you know, they struggle going, hey, what's going on with all this death, the suffering, the cancer, for example. And you know, mm -hmm. when we start with the Bible, you step back. God, God made a perfect world. It's because of man's sin that the world is like this. That's why mm -hmm. cancer exists in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why death can happen to children, you know, for example. And uh, what we need to do is step back and realize, hey, we're in a sin-cursed and broken world, but there is salvation in all this through the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. right. And sometimes we forget that. Jesus Christ stepped into history and died on a cross uh, to take that punishment that we deserve uh, from our infinite God. Absolutely. And, and that's, uh, that really does answer that question of death and mm -hmm. suffering. So even though there's probably a lot of people reading this that do not have a Christian worldview, what they need to do is get back to the Bible so they can have a proper mm -hmm. understanding of it. This next one ties into that. Um, new AI technology determines embryos suitable for IVF draws concern about eugenics. So this is talking about the use of artificial intelligence in selecting which embryos show the most promise during IVF in vitro fertilization, with the technology ruling out which ones are unsuitable for a successful pregnancy. So basically this new software that was developed, um, right now doctors use a microscope and they look at the different embryos that are created to try and figure out which ones um, have the potential to, um, to survive, which ones have the least you know, genetic abnormalities, whether the parent wants a boy or a girl, things like that. Well this is just taking artificial intelligence and applying that so that it can do it much faster and more efficiently and more accurately than a, than a doctor can. It's the same idea that's been practiced through right. IVF since the beginning, it's just speeding it up using artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what happens to the ones that aren't selected? Usually they're thrown away. Yeah. Sometimes they're thrown into a freezer and just left there for potentially decades, but oftentimes they're just discarded and now, thrown away. Human beings just thrown away. Those are actual human beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We sometimes forget that. When the sperm and egg come together, that is well, a they new certainly human forget being it. right there. The people involved with this research certainly forget that. Mm -hmm. they, well, and I think the scary part too is um, ruling out which ones are unsuitable for a successful pregnancy. So how do we define unsuitable? What, what is unsuitable? If you want a boy right. and it's right. a girl, is that unsuitable? Mm -hmm. um, un for a successful pregnancy, what does that look like? You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. there's a lot of definitions that could start to come into play that's a real slippery slope. Right, and, and it really is. You know, they're talking higher quality, lower quality, which ones deserve to live, which ones don't deserve to live. That's, uh, that's really the heart of eugenics. It is, it is. Uh, this one might be born with, a, with have some kind of genetic abnormality and may be born with a disability. So we're purposely not going to implant that child mm -hmm. because that child might not might not be what the parents are expecting, it might not be quote unquote perfect. Mm -hmm. That's just eugenics. That's just saying these people deserve to live, these people do not deserve to live. That's all that it is. And how is that any different than say the eugenics practice in Nazi Germany it's and so no forth? Different. They, they were doing we're the just same thing. Just dealing with tiny little embryos instead of babies are fully grown, like mm -hmm. more mature babies. And it's interesting, they went on, one of the, the people who was involved with this research, the CEO of this company, went on to say that, imagine you're an embryo, uh, embryologist <laughs> looking at multiple embryos in a hectic lab environment, and you have to decide which one has the best potential to become a baby. If you're an embryologist looking at embryos, you're not looking at which ones might have the best potential to become a baby, you are looking at Babies, very, very, very tiny babies, but 
babies nonetheless. They are people, 100% human DNA, made in the image of God, right there. You're just deciding which ones get to live and which ones don't get to live. You're not determining which ones will become it, a baby. They it, already Imagine are. if someone did that in a kindergarten classroom. Hmm, that one, that one. Oh, not those. I mean, it's really What's no different. interesting is she does that, ref that quote comes from the reference of the difficulty that comes with um, someone that's looking through this microscope at these cells and deciding which ones are going to live or die. And so mm -hmm. they're kind of singing the praises of this um, artificial intelligence that will do that process for them. But just because an, a computer is making that decision, it's, it's still more morally just as difficult. Of a, it's still right, happening. Yeah. It's yeah. still happening. Yeah. You're still making decisions about life and death for humans in, made in God's image. Speaking of humans made in the image of God, this next one comes from LifeSite. Sound of Freedom defies naysayers with 5 million tickets sold, 50 million in receipts. So this, uh, since this article was published, because uh, we selected the news articles, of course, a couple of days before, so we have time to read through and prepare, that number has doubled. Sound of Freedom has now um, made over $100 million, $100 million. in sales, which is amazing. Um, yes, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who, who haven't heard, Sound of Freedom is a film that talks about child sex trafficking and really shines a light on that through the powerful story of a man who gave up his job to go and save children who are caught in these horrible child sex, traf sex trafficking rings. Um, this movie has been smeared by a lot of the sort of established media as a QAnon conspiracy and just, you know, hype and fantasy and all this nonsense. Um, but thankfully, a lot of people, as evidenced by the fact that it's sold $100 million in tickets and has broken records, that people are going to see the film and they're realizing that, yes, this is something that happens. The U.S. is the, the, the largest country that's, that's at fault for um, child sex trafficking. It's, it's really awful. And, and helping to shine a light on that and help people realize the horror of what's really happening. Right. Yeah, it's sex slavery is what it is. And, mm -hmm. and it's terrible. Um, so I'm glad this movie is shining a light on it. You know, something else that it did... Um, a lot of movies, you know, when it's released on the first weekend, that's when the big sales are, right? And then usually movies, you know, at least decent-sized movies, the following weekend, it's about 50%, or, you know, it kind of goes down. This one did something different. The following weekend, it went up, and people weren't ready for that. 35%. So it's, it's one of only a handful of movies that have ever done that, and it looks like it might continue to, to go yeah. up. We're going to see about this next weekend. So. And it was the only one to do it in the summer season where the big movies are released. It's the mm -hmm. biggest movie season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty fascinating. Yeah, the but, article here was talking about how, like, although the media is trying to paint this as just some kind of conspiracy, no, this is, this is real. The child exploitation impacts an estimated 2 million children. 2 million from mm -hmm. toddlers all the way up through teenagers. Like, it's absolutely horrifying. I mean, the details, some of that they give in this article, we can't even share on the news because we do have some yeah. children that do watch the show. Um, but it, it's absolutely horrible. And the fact that the United States is the industry's biggest consumer is horrible. And one of the reasons for that is because of pornography usage. Like, that's a, so much of it traces back to that. People get into pornography, and then it leads to deeper and more depraved things until this is what we end up with. So this is why Christians need to be and continue to be, and we always have yeah. been at the forefront of fighting the evils of pornography because this is the result, one of the, the evil results of that. And so we need to keep fighting that and keep um, holding people accountable to a biblical standard of sexual ethics where we go by what God has defined in his word. Now no, notice something too though. In each of these last three articles, who gets attacked? Children. children. It's the children. We need to start protecting and looking out for mm -hmm. the children. Always the most vulnerable. 
that makes the quote, everyday ordinary people don't want to hear it. It's too ugly for polite conversation. And so it is hard. It is a hard yeah. movie to go see. But it really is an important issue um, to open our eyes and see that these things are happening. And pray yeah. that the Lord will raise up more people who yeah. will take a stand yes. and, and go and do the hard thing to, to save children and to, to shut, this, shut this down. All right. All right, something a little bit lighter here uh, from Science Alert. Maybe not lighter for the dinosaur involved, but it turns out an ancient creature actually preyed upon dinosaurs. So this was a really cool fossil find that was found in what's called China's Pompeii, which is an area in Lanning province in China where they find a ton of fossils that are very, like, in, basically entombed um, in volcanic ash. Here's the, this particular specimen that they found is a extremely well-preserved fossil of yeah. a dinosaur, a ceratopsian dinosaur, uh, pronounced something. The <laughs> scientific name here is like Sitacosaurus legiatunensis. My hey, laugh. I, I give you, I give you points for trying. Find um, the 10-year-old. They can usually pronounce it. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. The 10-year-old dinosaur experts are like, ah, that's what it is. Anyway, they found this dinosaur um, with a mammal literally attacked, like, teeth into the dinosaur, hands on the dinosaur. It looks like it's attacking this dinosaur to make a nice yummy meal. Um, so they were pretty shocked by this. this is, they don't typically find mammals attacking dinosaurs. They have found juvenile specimens of this particular dinosaur in the belly of this particular mammal, but this is the first time they've, they've seen, potentially, obviously it's a fossil, so there's a lot of interpretation going on, mm -hmm. um, a mammal attacking a dinosaur in this way. So kind of a, a cool because right. in evolutionary thinking, you know, there's a lot that all the dinosaurs evolved and then the mammals gained strength after the dinosaurs mm -hmm. were wiped out. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, again, from a biblical perspective, if we know that God created all kinds, mammals and dinosaurs, on day five and six, then yeah. we would expect to see predation after the fall. Um, mm -hmm. And this is the kind yeah. of thing that we'd expect to see. And, and in fact, today still, um, we have wolverines that can take down a caribou. That's a uh, 10 times the predator size, and then honey badgers can take down an oryx, which is also a similar size ratio. So we do have small, ferocious little mammals that are taking right. on some pretty big prey. Yeah, we've seen uh, examples of this same mammal, our robustus, uh, you know, that has eaten some others. You know, so it is pretty fascinating to see these mammals are yeah. having a go. Taking it uh, on. Yeah, I, I was kind of blown away by that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I love the subject of dinosaurs, and uh, here these little dinosaurs are getting attacked too. So. <laughs> Um, we talked a little bit about mine. this too. What we really know is that these two creatures were buried together suddenly right. in a, in a catastrophic mm -hmm. event um, because there could be other explanations for the positioning and all that, but, um, but we wouldn't be surprised from right. a biblical of course, perspective. In a biblical worldview, yeah. yeah, this is in Cretaceous rock. For those of you who understand, Cretaceous rock is part of the flood rock. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, at the same time that these types of things are occurring, Noah's floating around in the ark with representatives of each of the land dwelling mm -hmm. air breathing kinds above them uh, to keep them alive. So, I mean, this makes sense. You know, I see stuff like this and I'm like, yep, I expect to find stuff like this in the fossil record. That's a great confirmation of what I read in the mm -hmm. scriptures. And if their interpretation is correct that we have found, you know, another example of animal mm -hmm. predation, that's a good reminder again that the fossil record is not millions of years old. It was not laid down before Adam and Eve because the Bible is very clear, Genesis 1, 29 through 30, mankind and the animals were created to be vegetarian at the very beginning. And yet right. we find these examples of animal carnivory in the fossil record, which reminds us that that fossil record was laid down after, after. Adam and Eve's sin during the global flood of Noah's day for the most part. Yeah. All right, our next one comes from Scientific American. Dolphins and whales will never evolve back into land animals. 
I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they're gonna, dolphins will produce dolphins and whales are gonna produce whales. I don't right. know what else to tell you. <laughs> yeah, now they never did come from land animals. No, Now, out no. in the world, this is commonly taught. I mean, we see this, high school kids are taught this uh, in a lot of the high school textbooks. Mm -hmm. You know, saying, hey, whales and dolphins, uh, uh, you know, they used to be land animals. They went back into the water, and after a while, they got these uh, evolved adaptations. No, that's not really what happened. You know, God made land animals. He made sea creatures. The sea creatures were on day five, land animals on day six. You know, the one mm -hmm. didn't change into the other at all. But, so uh, you went and looked at the study. Yeah. Okay. How um, did they come up to this startling conclusion? <laughs> because they seemed, um, th these, there's these... Um, certain events, like irreversible traits that they claim cannot go back. And it was, I was just struggling to see how they had drawn such strong conclusions. And if you go to the original article, they make the statement that they modeled the evolution of aquatic adaptations across mammal lineages using phylogenetic comparative methods. So basically, with evolutionary assumptions, they go back and make comparisons based on those assumptions. And so again, it's really um, making a model based on a worldview that they have already preconceived some ideas of what could happen and what couldn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so it makes it challenging. And yet, I think it's really interesting because in their scenario, life came from water. Um, and one day, you know, fish walked out and became land dwelling animals, um, and then these went back, so... Several different times. Yes, and mm -hmm. yet, you know, if evolutionary is, if ideas are right, then I don't understand why you couldn't do it again, because they did it They're once. They're saying that they can't evolve. Right, right, oh, okay. and so it, it is kind of self-defeating there, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they went on to talk about how transitions to aquatic environments are associated with multiple changes. In other words, it, it's... It, Creatures that live in the ocean and creatures that live on land are very different from one another, which is, again, shocking. Like, who would have thought? Um, but then they say the multiple changes, including an increased body mass that helps retain heat in colder environments, think whales, for example, um, and a carnivorous diet to support their heightened metabolism. Such changes may make it difficult to compete against terrestrial life forms. So in other words, there's creatures that are really well designed to live in aquatic environments, and there's creatures that are really well designed to live in terrestrial environments, and they stay that way. Yeah, they say, yeah, I'm not designed for an aquatic environment. No. I'm not very good at that, but... Uh, <laughs> There's you know. a principle in evolutionary ide ideology known as Dalo's Law, and it says that once a complex trait is lost in a lineage over time, it's unlikely to reappear in subsequent generations. And so again, this is one of those assumptions that's been put into that model. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, um, fish have fins and flippers, and they came out, and again, whales re-evolve fins and flippers, so they're really violating right. their own, their own laws rules, and principles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we have a book called Glass House, Shattering the Myth of Evolution. There's an entire chapter in here on alleged whale evolution, which, you know, like I said, you know, a lot of high school kids and uh, college kids are actually being drilled with that as good evidence for an evolutionary worldview. One of the classic examples. Yeah, and, and really what they're doing is they're just taking a number of land animals and they're just trying to line them up, assuming that they uh, transitioned into these creatures, but we're not actually seeing that. So that's they're, a they're great separate resource kinds. to check so, out. Again, that's called that. Glass House. We'll drop the link uh, as well. All right, this next one here, rare Einstein letter rebutting the biblical creation story for sale. So if you have about $125,000 that you don't know what to do with, one thing you could do with it is <laughs> you could potentially buy a letter written by Albert Einstein on the creation of the universe. It is now publicly for sale. Um, they've put this letter up for sale with certain, the Rab collection in Pennsylvania. Um, so this was a letter that was written by Einstein himself on April 11th, 1950, in response to a letter. Um, and this was sent to a Jewish group of students in America. And so he's here answering the question basically of, can someone like you, who is a scientist, 
believe in what the Bible says about God? What was his response to that? Well, less than perfect. Uh, sadly, <laughs> Einstein, you know, disagreed with uh, what the Bible says about creation. Mm -hmm. now, now, look at this from a big picture, though. Here's God who knows everything, has always been there. Guess what? He was there when he created it. He tells us and reveals us what happened. And here's Einstein going, because of this other worldview, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. He's bought into a secular worldview, a secular humanistic religion uh, to try to object to God. By what authority can he object to God? Mm -hmm. yeah, it says he didn't accept the creation so, story, not because it's disproved, but because there is instead a scientific explanation. But when we think of science, science is something that's observable and repeatable. Mm -hmm. uh, was Einstein ever able to go back and observe and repeat creation? I don't think yeah. he were discovered great for how gravitational forces <laughs> and all these other right. things for that things you can observe. Right. right. Uh, so what this is, this is actually diving into what we call mm -hmm. historical science, using science in the present mm -hmm. to try to understand the past, but really it's more of a historical question. Mm -hmm. And Einstein never observed or repeated any of this, right. but he was holding on to that yeah. religious fervor. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have a book, uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, he's an astrophysicist, and uh, there's actually a little bit of a connection between Albert Einstein and Dr. Jason Lyle. Uh, Einstein was proposing certain types of physics, uh, velocity-based and position-based. There were some other physicists that picked up where Einstein left off with position-based physics, did some more calculations. Dr. Jason Lyle actually utilized those equations to solve a distant starlight problem uh, using his uh, cosmological uh, time zone convention model. And uh, so he's not a nobody. Dr. Jason Lyle is a brilliant creationist, and he wrote a book called The Ultimate Proof of Creation. He is not in the same camp as uh, Einstein. <laughs> and, uh, and it won't cost $125,000. No, no, it's a much no, less it's than that. Much less than that. And he also wrote a subsequent book called The Physics of Einstein, which is brilliant, really diving into these issues. You can look at that in more detail. So you know, just because someone like Albert Einstein, who's got a name behind him, says, oh, well, you don't have to believe the Bible, guess what? God disagrees with him. And there are other physicists. Mm -hmm. And, and his, well. his reasoning for that, in the letter he says, the person who is more or less trained in scientific thinking is alien to the religious creation in the original sense of the cosmos because he applies the standard of causal conditionality to everything. So in other words, because of the assumption that the supernatural is not possible, therefore, I'm not going to believe in creation. It isn't based on observational mm -hmm. evidence whatsoever. It's based right. on his assumptions about life and the universe right. and how everything came to be. He's assuming naturalism in order to argue against mm -hmm. God. So it isn't based on, like you were saying, observational evidence at all. It's rather, it's just based on these assumptions about how the world must work based on naturalism. Yeah, so it wasn't as scientific as people seem to think. Mm -hmm. One thing so. I thought was interesting, though, is he goes on to say, if you are, however, to interpret the Bible symbolically, metaphorically, it is not clear anymore whether God is, in fact, to be thought of as a person. He brings up an important point there. If There are some people, and there was alive at the, the same time as Einstein, who want to reinterpret Genesis to, to accept evolution, to accept millions of years. But as soon as you start doing that and you start interpreting the Bible um, symbolically, metaphorically, as he says here, all of a sudden you've opened the door to, well, what else? else do you reinterpret? What else do you reinterpret about who God is, about his creation, right. about the way he made us, about any of that? He's right there. If you can just reinterpret the yep. Bible however you want, then who's to say who God really is or what God really did? Because you no longer have the authoritative revelation of God. All you have left is your own opinions because now you're the authority over the word right. of God. And, so and that's just arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good. All right. This last one here comes from psychology today. Three hurdles to evolution education. Why getting an education in evolution is so difficult. 
So if you've thought it's really hard to hear about evolution these days, <laughs> this guy's got the reasons why. <laughs> you know, I don't I, see too many of them given a good creation education either. <laughs> so. I was struggling to understand how, what institutions were not sharing evolutionary. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's kind of everywhere right. and all the other viewpoints are suppressed and not allowed, but you know, it's real hard <laughs> to get an education in evolution. Yeah, but you know, if you think about this, if they just got an, uh, an education, learning about evolution, learning about evolution, learn, what job are they really going to get? There's not. I mean, it's not. It's not, it's not practical. But you know, this article starts off. You know, one of the key points it says right up front: Charles Darwin, who discovered and described the principles of natural selection, is cherished historically. Actually, he didn't discover natural selection. Ed Blyde did about 25 years before him. He was a creationist, explaining how animals vary within uh, God's world. Um, he expanded on it and he gave it the name. But right. we have to be very careful. It's as if we're giving credit. Uh, to Charles Darwin for he something someone else did. It. He Correct. Didn't discover. Yes. And I think the point is here this is a psychologist. So this is someone not in the scientific fields that is actually really interested in trying to apply evolutionary ideology to really all yes. aspects of mm -hmm. human, That's what he's the human about. experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People aren't, he says, evolutionary concepts have shed light on so many factors of the broader human experience, including education, politics, warfare, love, social interactions, diet, mm -hmm. exercise, and more. And he's like, people aren't applying it to everything. They're only, they're just viewing it as like this biological science or maybe like, you know, fossils and stuff. They're not applying it to all of life. And he goes on to say, evolution can shed light on the entirety of the human experience. And it has the extraordinary capacity to help us live richer lives. So believing that life and the universe is the result of random chance processes, that there is no purpose, there is no meaning, there is no ultimate, there is no God who decides morality, that will help you live a richer life. Boy, I'm struggling to follow that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to talk about the three hurdles that yes. she does okay. talk about, um, and I guess I don't even know if it's a man or woman, but so he. evolution is often seen as too scientific to understand. So again, speaking from the psychology field outside the scientific realm, um, the first argument she makes is that um, it's, it's too difficult for, for a lot of people and they don't want to really try to address it. It scares those who are science phobic. So that, that's their first. And then evolution is often seen as evil. Um, they talk about how um, so often people will associate, which we often do, make the, the, the clear correlations mm -hmm. of, of what Darwinian ideology has done in the, in the fact of like eugenics and you know, mm -hmm. different things that have been carried Nazi on. Germany, yes. communism, all those wonderful regimes. Yeah. They're built on an evolutionary worldview. Built on yeah. an evolutionary worldview. Yep. yep. It's, it's interesting because he talks about how we need, as the broader human community, we need to work to establish an evolutionarily informed worldview. But then all the examples he gives of people who did have an evolutionarily informed worldview are all negative examples and he's like no they just did it wrong like they <laughs> they were that was an erroneous conception of evolution that bears little connection to Darwin's actual ideas. And I don't know if he's read Darwin's actual ideas because Darwin was definitely like, he talked about eugenics. He talked about the, the yep. higher races are gonna eradicate the lower races, so. Yeah, he came right out with that. There, yeah, it's in, in his book, in his Descent, book of Descent of Man. Man. Yep. Yeah, he said that the Caucasians should essentially exterminate uh, all the other races of mankind. Mm -hmm. you know, he viewed them as lower races. Um, it's, it's terrible and people like the Nazis were trying to do that sort of thing. They were so, applying it to mankind. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, when I look at some of the stuff that, that, that Darwin was teaching and doing, you know, it, it, it just violates so much science. You know, there's, a, for example, there's the law of biogenesis. Life comes from life, not non-life. And yet, every evolutionist has to have abiogenesis, mm -hmm. which violates the law of biogenesis. They say life came from 
it, it matter, matter just yeah. by itself, it organizes itself. You know, I think of the second law of thermodynamics. You know, you look at the universe as a closed system. Um, where'd the order come from? You know, it violates mm -hmm. that. You know, from a biblical worldview, from a Christian worldview, these, these laws make sense. Yeah. So, I, you know, it just shocks me that people are like, oh, why aren't we following Darwinism? He didn't Darwinism? mention that hurdle to no, evolution. No, he didn't specifically. It's hurdle of, you know, yeah, observational I'm, science. I'm adding more hurdles. <laughs> There's a lot more <laughs> hurdles. <laughs> but, uh, he didn't mention those ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he... And then the third one yes. that the he talked one. about. You the third one is one? evolution is often seen as irrelevant to everyday life. So again, he's, it's, he's saying it's been left to the realm of mm -hmm. science and indeed maybe perhaps it just should mm -hmm. be. It's yeah. interesting though because he says a final hurdle to education, evolution education pertains to the fact that even people who understand evolutionary concepts well often don't see evolution as relevant to the issues of everyday life. Maybe because it's not. Like, <laughs> when you take the evolutionary worldview and you actually apply it to everyday life, well, now you have no foundation for morality, you have mm -hmm. no foundation for logic, you have no foundation for order in the universe, you have no foundation for meaning or purpose or anything like that because that's what the evolutionary worldview leads to. So no wonder people don't want to apply it because it's a purposeless, meaningless worldview, unlike the biblical worldview where there is a God who created us, made us in his image, made this universe, and then not didn't just make the universe and step back and be like, well, I wonder what's going to happen to everything. Actually loves us enough that he sent his son to die on the cross to save us from our ultimate problem of sin and the sin that separates us from God, the debt we could never pay, he came and paid for us and now offers eternal life to everyone who will turn away from their sin, put their faith and trust in him and we get to live with him forever in eternity where there will be no more death or suffering or pain. That what hope we have when we apply a biblical worldview instead of an evolutionarily informed worldview. You know, when I look at this from a big picture, you know, I'm thinking, you know, we look at all aspects of reality in light of God and his word. And so that's the way we look at all things, whether we're looking at other people, whether we're looking at animals, or whether we're looking mm -hmm. at evidence, or, or whatever it might be, medicine. But when I, when I read an article like this, I'm, I'm seeing what they're doing. They're saying, hey, let's get rid of the Bible. Let's throw the Bible out of everything, and let's look at everything in light of this other worldview, this mm -hmm. other religious viewpoint. So what this is, this is a conflict of two different religions, two different worldviews. Mm -hmm. And sadly, so many of us have, uh, have been heavily influenced by this secular worldview, whether it's from our education in the past, whether it's from peers, whether it's from the media. We've been influenced mm -hmm. by it one way or another. Sometimes what we need to do is step back and go, hold on. There's an authority issue. Let's get back to God and his word. There is no greater authority than God. Absolutely. All right, so speaking of education, we just wanted, as we wrap up here, we just wanted to mention our Creation College Expo coming to the Ark Encounter um, November 2nd through the 4th, 2023. This is an awesome event for grades 7 through 12. You can come and talk to representatives from Christian colleges that aren't just Christian, but actually teach a biblical worldview and take a stand on the authority of God's word beginning in Genesis. That's pretty rare. And so we've gathered those colleges together for you. Um, students grades 7 through 12 get free admission to the Ark Encounter when they come um, to this event. So so uh, I encourage you, check out um, Creation or Creation Expo, sorry, Creation, Creation. College Expo is the <laughs> URL, creationcollegeexpo.org, um, and register for that free event and make plans to come. And speaking of free, the other thing we wanted to highlight here is that kids are free at the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. So if you haven't um, visited yet, we encourage you to come. Kids tend to under enjoy free admission. Um, so bring as many children as you can um, and so they can come and learn about the truth of God's word and the message of the gospel. Uh, so that is all the time we have for today. We finished like 10 seconds early. Woo. So look at that. Oh, wow. Um, so please join us again next time for Answers News. Thank you so much. All right. Thank God you. bless you. Have a good day.